that. All right, cool. Woo. We don't need to do the headphones thing, do we? No. Nah, that's all right. Thanks, JJ. Sorry Cheers, for the hassle. Cheers, doesn't it? Cheers. Yeah. Much appreciated. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, man. Nice time. Yeah, you too. <laughs> one, two, one, two, one, two. Okay, that's working all right, isn't it? Yeah, it should be fine. Okay. Fuck. Shit, son, it's the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts, and I'm joined today by... Phil Savage. We're here to talk about two computer games, and then we're going to go straight into your questions again. It's just the two of us this week, because uh, Tom Senior has to write news, because Joe Donnelly took a day off, and he couldn't find news cover. He's so. only just hired him, and he's taken days off. <laughs> uh, I think he booked it uh, ages in advance, to be honest, but um, I'll have a, I have a, I have a <laughs> word with HR. He doesn't have to justify to me. <laughs> Um, so yes, uh, we still have a, uh, a couple of things to talk about. Last week we went big on the big games, so we had a lot of Mass Effect and Nier chatter uh, while Phil was away, um, so he didn't get to add his uh, two cents on any of those games, so that's fine because he's only been playing Yakuza 0 on PS4 anyway. Um, that and uh, The Signal from Tolva, yeah. uh, which is a new game from Big Robot Games, who made Sir You Are Being Hunted, that's right. uh, which uh, includes... Uh, Jim, who used to work on PC Gamer, although not with any of us, so you can't have us on that internet ethics police. Yeah, we're clean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this is uh, basically, like, uh, from what I can tell, a kind of slightly Far Cry-infused sci-fi open-world game. Um, well, yeah, um, I guess if you're aware of Jim's writing work, you'll know that he is a fan of games like Stalker, and I think some of those influences are can be found here, like it's quite a solitary experience a, a very sort of um, a self-directed open world uh, shooter mm. which uh, yeah seems to tie into a, a lot of things that appeal to him and yeah. a lot of PC gamers so you know it's uh, it's definitely one to be looking out for yeah uh, what, what, a very noticeable thing about it I think is the art style which is he's yeah. um, uh, they've uh, Enlisted the help of Ian McHugh, who used to work at Rockstar Games, I think all the way back to like GTA 3. Wow. So, like, he was incredibly influential, artistic influence on those games. And I think he left to go freelance and has been posting a lot of his cool artwork on his uh, uh, various channels since then. And it's, um, yeah, so some of the ship design in this is very kind of like. It's kind of like rusted, almost yeah, like there's tanker-looking things. I, the whole the whole thing is very evocative, like sci-fi book covers. Uh, but not, it, it, I mean, No Man's Sky went for a similar sort of thing, but that that was quite a vibrant alien experience. This is a lot more sort of muted and grounded. It feels like it's. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I was going to say, you know, a lot of sort of browns and greys, but not in that Gears of War way where uh, your eyes are sad. <laughs> yes. It's so a very evocative set of landscapes. It doesn't uh, look like a 2006 Xbox 360 game. No. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Phil, you've played a little bit of it, and I've, I've played the tiniest amount yeah, of it. Yeah, played and, maybe um, half an hour to an hour. Like, um, yeah. Basically, uh, you seem to be. Uh, it's one of those kind of mysterious opens where you're on a spaceship and you kind of upload yourself into a robot on the surface of this planet, Tolva. Hmm. Um, and your job seems to be to find the signal uh, of the title. Yes. Uh, but there are a lot of signals and you've got to kind of 
hunt them down and remove false positives and I assume you're working towards the the actual signal of of the title um yeah so you play these kind of like disposable robots right yeah yeah uh, yeah you're just uploading your consciousness into robots so uh, if you die you go back to one of the bunkers or the spawn points and you take over another one um and yeah you just sort of meander around the world uh looking at uh you know investigating points that have been marked on your map and um picking up resources and picking up these signals and uncovering bits of story that are contained within these floating artifacts mm. um, it's all quite uh, yeah, a sort of lonely and solitary and um, yeah, nice like that also, you've got guns mm. um, and the, the combat scene, it, it's not like if you've played So You're Being Hunted, which was very much like a stealth thing and quite difficult and if it got to combat a lot of the times that's kind of when I died and was sad Right. Uh, in this um, like, it, it's I wouldn't say it's a full scale shooter because it's, what I've played so far has been quite sparse in terms of the layout of things, like if I've come across any robots any uh, hostile robots, it's been like bands of two or three of them mm. um, and you've sort of got like long range laser shooters and some big chunky assault rifle things uh, and yeah it's not been too difficult yet I'm, I'm quite interested to see how the enemies progress because another thing that you unlock after you've found a couple of signals you sort of rank up with the surveyor faction, Right, they're the robots that you're taking over, you know, they're kind of friendly to you but only because you think they think you're one of them right um, and as you upgrade and get with them, you, you get this uh, device that lets you basically hack them and command them and tell mm -hmm. them where to go. So you can have like guys with you and you can bring them along and tell them attack to attack a hostile robots and that. And that seems to be a big part of it. So I'm kind of interested to see where that all goes. Yeah. Um, like, so far... Just, just an, a sort of enjoyable set of systems, and it, the thing that remains to be seen is how they all build together, right? And whether it's sort of escalating in any way. Like, there's an upgrade system when it comes to weapons, and you can unlock things and you can level up. But I'll be interested to see what else is out in the world and what sort of objectives and missions there are to do as you're exploring. I sense there's probably some strong uh, story element uh, to unravel as well. Yeah, just it seems that way. It's like with other things. There's um, you have three kind of sensors uh, on your UI at all times and they tell you when you get close to specific things and the three things are one a signal which is like the things that you have to that you use to progress and level up on that yeah and seem directly tied to like the main story and there's resources which you use to buy things and then the third are these artifacts which seem to just be a, a sort of chunk of story right that you can browse in the menu at any time mm. and just sort of learn about the world and the things in it. Yes, I think they, they sent through like a like it's like a law backdrop guide yeah. they sent through with the the game. So that suggests that they've thought it's quite long and hard about that stuff. Definitely a big part of it, it seems. Mm, yeah. Um, there's also some like weird stuff you can find. I mean, a lot of the signals I've found have just been sort of lying on the floor, and you go up and you scan them, and that's that. Job's done. But there was another one that was in this building, and when I went in there. Um, I was like, oh, uh, you know, the, you, your little guy on comms was saying, I can't find where the signal is because the, the building's blocking my scanning, so you've got to go find it yourself. Hmm. I went down a corridor, and I came out in a place I didn't expect based on the geography. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually a weird puzzle room that's not based on actual 
ge geometry. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it does some you know weird things with Paul Tech and stuff, which is like oh, okay, this is that there are some interesting quirks within this this little segment of the game. Okay. Well, there's a uh, okay. What we'll do then is we've all got codes for it, so we'll all play it. Uh, it's out on Monday, and mm. uh, we'll have a proper playthrough of the next week or so. When Andy's back in as well, it's very much an Andy game, isn't it? Oh yeah, very much so. In that there are sci-fi landscapes, and um, probably a way to probably a free cam hack that he can use to take <laughs> nice screenshots or videos. Yes, he does love to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. I assume we've got a review in the works. And yep, uh, Chris Schilling's reviewing it for us, and Excellent. that'll be on PCGamer.com on Monday, I believe. Cool. Monday at six, something like that. Yeah, read his opinion because I'm certainly not in a place to say whether or not it's like worth it at the moment. No, but it's quite fun to shoot the robots and very pretty. And it's quite pretty. Yeah, it's and nice. Some, you know, that's that's a good start. It's a solid basis from which to build a game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though it's got an umlaut uh, O in the title, which when you're working in InDesign <laughs> to make magazines, I can say confirm is a right pain in the dick. But um, anyway, yes. Um, the only other thing I've got written down here, Phil, is VR stuff. Oh yeah, because um, you and Tom Senior have been hogging VR headsets for the better part of six months, I believe. I think hogging is. Unfair. <laughs> uh, I've had the, one of our office vibes. Yes. And if anybody had asked me for it, they could have had it back because it's been sat in a bag and not been used. Yes, fair enough. And also, I don't have the space in my flat for standing VR, so there's no point. Yeah, it's it. only because we we deconstructed our previous sofa and suddenly had some room in it. So we we're like, okay, before we build the new sofa, let's. <laughs> Wasn't that like use a, of this? Wasn't like one evening period that you had that because you had to build a new sofa to watch WrestleMania? Isn't that what happened? Well, I had to build the sofa. I mean, that is that is very true. Yes. Uh, but the actual the previous sofa had been dismantled the previous weekend. Oh right, yes. So you had a good old week. So there. we had a week of VR. Full full room space VR. It's a shame you didn't get to do it uh, when Batman was out because they just announced that for PC. Yeah, they just announced that. It would have been good to experience because mm. uh, I think one of the takeaways of this week or so of VR is VR's still not really worth it. Like if you've not bought it yet and you were thinking I'm going to wait for some, uh, do they call them killer apps still? Is yeah, that, yeah. You, I, I mean, <laughs> someone does. Yeah. <laughs> you want those killer apps uh, they're not there you can't find them yeah i, don't I mean know batman's gonna be that thing but as as a man who used to actually run a podcast called the killer app podcast let me just say now that the idea i mean app is short of application mm -hmm. killer application is a dumb term it um, is it is dumb you anyway. should have thought of that before you named your podcast i did yes it was a good <laughs> idea for a podcast we basically picked one classic game and then we talked about it with three people three fans from that uh, of that game that's cool. um it might still be on itunes actually anyway don't listen to that listen to this one mm. um so yes um okay cool uh so what have you been playing then out of the vr lot uh once again it's been i've been downloading just anything that uh i can find on the work steam account and do you play job simulator don't people like that one i played that a while ago i do like that one it's um it's one of those ones that now I've played it, there is no point to ever returning to it because I've sort of mined it for its humour. Mm. And uh, that's that done. Um, uh, we tend to just put on a lot of, you know, experiences, uh, one-shot things where, hey, you're doing some archery, but it's early access, so there's not much to do. Okay. And you're like, oh, cool, that's a neat mechanic, but there's nothing really attached to it in terms of a game yet. Okay. Or mini-golf. Woo! Well, that's I, I, that's probably the best use of uh, VR. I mean, it, it, those kind of Wii sports style, here's an experience to impress your nan sort of thing. And uh, yeah, not a gender stereotype. But, but I mean, I think that's the problem though. Is that's is very much the oh, let's just try on a bunch of novelty games and. 
there's still nothing that makes me think, oh, well, this has actual proper gaming applications. Like, it's fun to download the roller coaster one that I downloaded and put my girlfriend in it and put on a particularly insane roller coaster and just watch her brain try and work out those physics. Yeah. She sits on the floor going, whoa! <laughs> Uh, I mean that's that's entertaining enough, but yeah, it's not really a lot to that. Uh, what about um, is Eve Valkyrie on there yet? Mm. Did you give that a go? No, because it was a big download and my internet ain't great. Oh, <laughs> so, was, yes, yes, it was a lot of gigabytes, and I was just like, that's too much preparation. Well, it seems like um, some of the more interesting. Well, wasn't that there was that insomnia? Is it Insom- Insomniac game that came out a few months ago that was a bit like uh, Zeldery that people kind of liked? Okay. Um, but um, I think that was just exclusive to Oculus. Because- yeah, there's a few that are still exclusive to Oculus. Like, um, I think there's one done in the in CryEngine called The Climb that everyone was saying looks really pretty and stuff. Yes. But I can't play that because we don't have an Oculus. I'll, uh, I'll look up what that game is called. But, um, yeah, so other than that, then you don't really find much um, of uh, interest to you on... Uh, so on- probably the... the- Best one in terms of like a an actual game with a story and you know systems proper uh, a campaign style systems. I, th- I think it's called Forgotten Realms, right? And it's um, kind of a really sort of cartoonish RPG type thing. This is a little dungeon crawler, and it's got melee sword combat and bow co- uh, you know bow and arrow stuff and magic wands and things but the physicality of that is really nice and it uses the teleport to move mechanic and there's actually just a large space to go through right you know there's little secrets to find and very very simple puzzles and stuff did you not fancy that uh, star wars demo by the way um the star wars demo uh, I downloaded, right? But requires a 2.4 by 2.4 meter space to do it room scale. Crikey! Whereas a lot of games will accept you. you I think the minimum you can have is 1.5 by 2 meters. Yeah, uh, I think I, Batman's got a requirement like that. I can do 1.7 by 2. That's that's fine. <laughs> if a sofa has been dismantled <laughs> from my room, which will never happen again. Exactly. 2.4 by 2.4 2 by 2.4. That is bigger than the room that yes. it's in. So it's just like, oh, okay. Mm, okay. All right. Then. Well, um, that VR game by Somniac was called Edge of Nowhere, by the okay. way. Okay. Yeah, um, and I think I got like middling reviews, but was ultimately considered an interesting example of like, oh, this is what you could make uh, with a bit of, uh, you know, backing behind it. Um, some of the best stuff still is like stuff that it's been kind of existing non-VR games that it has been ported into. Yeah. Um, weirdly, like, uh, Serious Sam, they've got a few uh, VR things now. They're pretty good. I played that at E3 last uh, year. Was that the Last Hope? Or? I can't remember what that No, called. I played the, um, I just played the one that was like a light gun shooter, and uh, you basically turn around and enemies come from each mm. direction. There's one yeah. that's a light gun shooter that's kind of fun. Again, it's sort of that it's th- it's throwaway, yeah. kind of yeah. throwaway thing. You can also just play through... Um, Oh, Serious Sam HD, the first encounter um, in VR using a teleport to move system. Hmm. And it's really, really shonky, but it's kind of entertaining. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like um, uh, uh, one thing I kind of like about some VR games is when the graphics are quite simple, you are you don't feel overwhelmed when you're looking at it. Mm. And I kind of like that about Serious Sam because obviously all the enemies are just these sort of janky, like very basic designs. Yeah, um, it was a it, bit like that with that um, Forgotten Realms, like all the enemies were kind of very cartoonishly chunky claymation style skeletons and yes. that, and it was just, uh, you, you know, there was a 
point where my girlfriend especially was terrified that there was going to be a spider in it because mm. uh, that would have been the end of that vibe it would have gone out the window yeah um but luckily <laughs> there were no spiders in it yes indeed well that's uh, that's good to know that's good to know <laughs> um <laughs> i'm sure that'll be fine with it yeah probably yeah be fine. i think it'll be fine um yes okay cool uh so that's vr then um, yeah still not I, quite worth it but. i mean honestly what i did most was play elite dangerous in it because yeah. fuck that looks good yeah like, the, the scale of it is amazing just a genuinely compared to seeing it on screen like being in that one of the ships i've got one of the chunky ships now because i've been playing a bit recently nice to, to do to do that mag update um so i've got a big nice ship and you can just look around and exist in it and then to see like the planets and how they fill the screen and that it's it's really very nice wow it makes you feel space feelings yeah i've not um tried that since uh the dk1 uh was compatible with it so that's uh i bet these days that's yeah, I, incredibly impressive i still think the vive has some resolution issues um, you can't read small text yeah i really noticed it when um i hooked it up to american truck simulator which actually required a bit of effort because you need like console commands and to download a specific beta build but if you do that it works okay right but if you're trying to read like the dashboard if you don't want like this hovering uh, map ui and you want to do it based on where things would be on the dashboard you've really got to lean in close just to see what your miles per hour is and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing um but you know it's nice it's good it's pretty good that's kind of neat i mean i actually kind of think it makes sense at this point for it to still be this kind of hobbyist uh thing that people want to tinker with and therefore it's okay that it's not uh, the next big thing yet, mm. um, you know, because uh, one, the head, the price of the headset will need to be lower. The cost of entry will need to be lower for good VR. Yes, that will probably come with time and um, multiple iterations of the hardware, and uh, and it's still not quite as refined in terms of resolution as you need it to be. And that will likely change in the next three or four years as the you know more and more powerful uh, graphics cards roll out. Or yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think I think it's we're still that there is only a certain percentage chance that we're going to hit the tipping point where it becomes like. The proper future of gaming style thing yeah um because it needs both like the technology to be slightly better and certainly more affordable than it is now and you need like some big developers to take it seriously and build some good games for it yeah i think sony had the right idea with getting uh i assume that sony got rocksteady to make that batman game um, or at least you know mm. part funded it because it got the exclusivity for six months yeah. um, and that was very wise because uh, Rocksteady uh, I've only, only played a Gamescom build last year but it's very it's a very convincing vision of that universe even though it's quite basic and apparently very short as well yeah well yeah that's it like some really impressive experiences but a lot of them are quite short and I think it's telling that so earlier this year uh, PSVR came out and that was a lot of people's sort of first introduction to vr it's pretty impressive it's impressive but you'll notice that there was like a huge amount of talk before it was released and then a couple of weeks after it was released I've, i mean i've not heard anybody talk about it for months no it reminds me very much of what sony used to do with the playstation move controllers or the itoy where there would be a, a quick spate of software mm. and then it would more or less i don't know just be left there yeah, and, um, yeah. I mean, Sony might uh, change their minds on that, but I. Said, but I also worry, like, about how the coverage and sort of the way we talk about VR will move forward, and whether that will follow what has, what's happened on the PC, where right. like we don't really talk about or cover VR at the moment because there's no interest in it. 
Well, that's only, yeah, because there aren't enough people with the headsets. There aren't enough so people with the headsets. I don't think not. people aspire to have it steady, though. No. Um, which, uh, you know, it's, 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 an, but it's an interesting thing that it is there and producing some interesting experiences that you wouldn't otherwise get from mm. games. So, yeah, I mean, we'll probably review Batman VR. I'm thinking of getting Andy to review it, actually. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's probably still going to be lean for a few years while we wait and see. Yeah, like, I mean, there are things coming up, isn't there? Like a Fallout VR and a Doom VR coming. Like Bethesda have got a couple of things in the works. I bet they'll be pretty impressive. They might be impressive, but yeah. they're probably just going to be like gallery shoes type things again like the serious Sam I assume and we'll see though I mean in Doom's case maybe but Fallout you'd think they'd want to attach some kind of narrative element wouldn't you Mm. yeah I mean um, Todd Howard might just be a big settlement building thing Uh, I don't know we'll we'll see Well, maybe we'll find out more at Gamescom this year yeah Uh, Gamescom E3 whichever one yes E3 well E3 soonish isn't it so um Okay, cool. Well, those are the games we're going to talk about today. I've not really played anything this week, but I'm going to play the shit out of Tolva and talk about that next week. And mm-hmm. also, uh, me, Phil, and Tom Senior are all playing the Dawn of War beta this weekend. Um, yeah, which will be good fun. Um, everyone, God, they can many gigabytes I've got to download. It's really good though. I can't. I, I'm actually really excited about uh, finally playing with someone else on my team so we can coordinate, which yeah. just wasn't happening with me when I wrote the uh, cover feature for the issue out now. It's just, you know, because there's no voice chatting games, so you may as well. You basically need to co-op it with friends, I think. Mm. Um, okay, cool. Um, so we're going to go into questions. We have loads of questions, um, starting with quite a long one. But, um, yeah, we thought we'd make the podcast mostly about this, as we got quite a good reaction from our last uh, questions-based podcast. Um, so if you want to uh, send us a question, you can tweet me at Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Um, alternatively, you can join our Discord channel uh, community which is discord.gg slash pcgamer um, and that is uh, well, for those who aren't already a member it's kind of like a forumy messaging thing and yeah. it's really uh, it's a really nice way to interact with us we're always on there and you can ask us questions and talk to other listeners and it's uh, it's really nice it's a very very nice community um, okay cool this is from uh, Tarosia yes Tarosia just making sure I got that. Um, yes, um, I'd wanted to roleplay as myself in something, but found it didn't go with the game worlds. Me not being a spaceman slash wizarding guy. When announced Fallout 4 began pre-apocalypse, it was perfect. I could do average guy thrown forward in time. It came at the best time, as games are one of the few things I'm able to do when my anxiety and depression is severe and I was in the middle of an especially bad bout involving the realisation that I was and had been almost totally dissociated from myself and my life for nearly all of my life, so needed cheering up. But I was... But I discovered that the man was some soldier dude. I did art history. Thankfully, the woman was a lawyer, so I made the best of it and recreated herself, uh, myself as closely as possible with her and produced the handsomest woman to ever sell a tape guns together. As I played, a strange feeling of deep calm came over me and my mood lifted. Bloody hell, I thought. This is one damn good game. Then one time, I saw my character's face in conversation view, and something at the back of my brain did something big, odd, and twisty that if you put into a cohesive thought would be along the lines of, Oh, look, there's my face. Hello, girl. I've been looking uh, for you for ages. There's this. There's been this odd man in the mirror for the last couple of decades. This was followed by by me saying, "Oh shit, I'm a woman." I'm currently in the real life version of a character creation screen, which is a lot more difficult than moving sliders about. Oh, computer games, when will you stop lying to us? If you want that in a question, is there any long-standing identity crises that games uh, have helped solve for you? If that's too personal, what's your favourite type of impractical clothing found in games? Mine is anything involving massively spiky armor. Um, how does anyone get it on without doing themselves an injury? Um, thank you for that question. Um, so me and Phil talked a bit about this before the podcast, and hmm. we concluded that we didn't have any th- anything nearly comparable to offer when it comes to games helping us solve identity crises. Um, not even close. No, I think even even trying to 
answer that question would come across as incredibly pithy, like after, yes, you know. So, um, so really a big revelation for somebody, you know. Yes, and uh, very much appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. And so, um, we'll uh, I think we'll endeavour to answer the second question instead. Do we have any silly clothes that we like? Um, which is very much more on our level as a question. I, I think would, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, practical clothes and games. Um, I d- I sort of. Uh, I don't know. I thought I'd have an answer for this, and I, maybe I don't. I always, <laughs> I always do wonder whether. Do you ever wonder like how power armor actually works when they wear it? Like that's so heavy. Like seemingly there's hydraulics inside them. There's got to be. Stuff. There's got to be. It's got to be motorized somehow. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you need power cells for it. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah motorized some, somehow. Yeah, I do sort of. Uh, I often worry about raiders running around with their shirts off in Fallout. I think, I mean, you know, there's it's some bad radiation out here. You know, at least pop a top on. You know, it just might might help sort you out. But, I, just, um, I love the mechanics of clothes that give you some sort of stat boost. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, we was... yeah we were talking about this this week about how there was um there's some there's a trilby in Fallout Four that um gives you a certain type of immunity to one weapon or whatever, and I was just like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Who I mean, whoever I don't care how good the the uh, the person who built that trilby was, or created that trilby. That there's no way that can apply that property to your entire body. But um, I also enjoy that absurdity about Fallout. So uh, yeah, yeah I, and games in general, it's fine. I'll, I'll take the magic pants. I think it probably <laughs> works better in fantasy where they can be literally magic pants. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. In terms of like um, impractical clothing that I kind of enjoy, I don't know. Like uh, I sort of. I don't, I don't think I could really get away with dressing like any of the characters in the games I like, you know? Uh, no. I don't know if you have to dress like that in real life. But... I could probably dress like Geralt, but I wouldn't look very handsome. <laughs> I think I'd just look I like me. I'd have to take this into cosplay. <laughs> no, I'd have to go to MCM and uh, get ogled or whatever. That, but that doesn't happen to me. I do you find yeah. there are plenty of clothes in Fallout that you just can't wear on principle? Or do you do what I do, which is just literally put anything on if it's slightly better stats-wise? Yes, that's what I do. And then it ends up looking like you've just, uh, you know, you, you basically lost all your clothes in some kind of incident and you had to fashion an outfit together very suddenly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, or it's laundry day, basically. I, <laughs> I hate that thing in MMOs. Uh, it tends to be MMOs and a lot of RPGs where it is like, as soon as you start, you know, collecting loot or whatever and you start on that upgrade path it is a case that you just got to resign your fact to the, to the fact that you're going to look like total garbage for 20 hours or so yeah. until you get to max level and you can hit the end game thing where you can actually like oh now I can craft the good armor if the crafting system isn't terrible and it will be <laughs> yes because uh, there are no good crafting systems or you know you can afford to buy a decent one you know a, a matching set of costume pieces from yes. the shop. You just, you just garbage hodgepodge of things for so long. <laughs> I don't know why. Like they must spend so much time art directing the shit out of every element of these huge worlds that they build, and then it's like, yeah, let's have our characters look like us for <laughs> actually months in the yeah. case of some <laughs> It's like, yeah, fuck it. No, oh, that's very true. I uh, guess some have, have brought in costume systems, so like the stats don't you know the club the actual items you're picking up don't affect your overall look which is an awkward way of getting around that but yeah i think some of the clothing in um overwatch looks a bit like uh i don't know i imagine that tracer's costume makes it very easy for her to kind of like move around or whatever but gang it on must be a pain <laughs> and what if you need to go to the bathroom you know this is like does the game i don't know if the games like comic books have covered this in the lore and explained how okay. she goes to the bathroom yeah you know. i mean the fact that she phases through time if she removes her 
central core thing, apparently. Yeah. And becomes incorporeal. Probably doesn't help. It, I would say I would say not, no. Um, so, yeah, I but mean... Ha- also, apparently, she can dock it into a room to, like, cr- project a field within her house. Okay, right. So that she can smooch her girlfriend. That's very true. Uh, in which case, I This don't... was very much covered in the smooching scene yeah, that in was. the recent Tracer comic. But it doesn't explain that if you're out, if you're Tracer and you're out and about, mm. how do you go to the bathroom, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I just, you know, and, and uh, yeah. I'd never considered that. <laughs> Well, I just, um, I kind of like, um, basically, uh, you know, uh, to refer to the making of the film Grease, where Olivia <laughs> Newton-John had to wear those ridiculously tight um, leather trousers, um, I believe that um, she had to go at the start of the day and then not drink for the rest of the day, which must be tough when you're singing all day with John I mean, Travolta, you know. Surely Widowmaker has it worse, because that's a legit onesie she's in. That's true, actually, yeah. But Tracer, she... isn't Tracer wearing a onesie? Isn't that a onesie? Uh, They're not trousers, are they? It does look like it's all in one. I, I, I don't know. It's the, it's the orange bit extends to the top she certainly wears a kind of aviator jacket okay wait i can't remember if that's over i'm pretty sure it's over uh, but it anyway might be. okay but anyway yeah you've got yeah. bad times there yeah and uh yeah well hopefully uh yeah hopefully that has answered your question unlike the sniper <laughs> in tf2 who in one of the sniper shorts literally they they go over the urine situation in detail there okay well that's uh you know, I'm, I'm glad that one of his weapons is a jar of piss. So wow, well there you go. That's uh, I appreciate the kind of extra law that uh, mm. Valve brought to the, brought to the game. There, that's uh, <laughs> that's very good. Hopefully, Overwatch will do the same. It's a very a very kind of uh, in depth look at the two development studios' styles of creating a sniper character. <laughs> I would say so. I think one thought through the practicalities slightly more. <laughs> um, okay, thank you very much for the question. Uh, this one's from Flag. Here's a question for you. What determines the music choice at the start and end of the podcast, and why was it Baldur's Gate this time? That was a couple of weeks that ago. That was a couple of weeks ago, uh, yeah. Good music, though. Um, though. Basically, I think it's just one game we mentioned on the podcast, and we use that music. Is that right? Uh, sometimes. Oh, sometimes it's just random, is it? Sometimes it is random. There you go. I host the podcast, and I don't know, because I don't uh, do the edit. Phil here's, does, and here's how Andy it happens. If Andy does it, it tends to be something we've talked about that episode okay uh, if i do it it can be that but also sometimes it's random because i've forgotten what we talked about nice well, so Baldur's gate was for the questions podcast because we, we didn't focus on any one game really we just sort of talked around about many of them babbled about all kinds of stuff uh, it might be the same here it depends if i can find any music from signal of toll very easily <laughs> i bet you could I'd just mail jim and say jim you got any music that's far too much effort to put a podcast up it's a very good point okay <laughs> um well you know uh you've played is american truck simulator got its own soundtrack at all or no not well it's got a it's got a kind it's of the in-game radio you know. made, yeah but that's just music yeah that's true yeah views. if uh, i could put some i could put some country on put some banging country tunes <laughs> Okay, well, um, that hopefully answers your question, Flag. In fact, it definitely does, um, because there's not more much more to say on that subject. But that's a that's a very good question. Thank you. Um, this is from uh, Bliam, and I'm sorry I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's the best I can do. I'll go with Blam. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go with Blam. Um, is there a moment in a video game that you feel uh, so strongly attached to that it compels you to return to play every so often? Meaning not something you can fulfil by watching it on YouTube, but playing it yourself. For me, it's Alan Wake and the battle at the abandoned rock concert venue. Loud American rock blaring in the background as you shotgun fireworks into shadows in slow motion. I like that sequence. I like that band in that game, um, Poets of the Fall. And uh, the, uh, they recorded uh, some silly songs for that game as the old gods of Asgard. And I like that little bit of hmm. meta textual stuff that Remedy um, enjoyed doing and seemed to have abandoned slightly with Quantum Break. And that's why I know that game doesn't look quite as interesting, personally speaking. But um, 
yeah, I, I don't really do that anymore. I used to do a bit more when I had more when I had less games, but now I have too many less games. games. More time. I did go back to for the wire love that we just ran the magazine on Doom's um, Lazarus facility level. I did go back and play that level, and I I do remember I just remembered how much I loved it. How you, you're sprinting through these labs, and then you're in this cathedral thing, and then it just keeps escalating, and then you uh, obviously get the cyber demon fight at the end. That was uh, that was really good, but um, I don't do that so much anymore. I did used to play. Um, I, I remember I used to play Metal Gear Solid and the second one over and over again. Oh god, I played the tanker level of MGS two so many times. Yes, we can oh. talk about that. that's on PC. I never played that on PC. Oh, yeah. But, um, is, yeah, yeah, you can buy that on PC. Substance version. That's a really good. Yeah, that's uh, that feels like the bit of the game that is the sequel to the first game. Yeah, which a lot of MGS two doesn't really. Yes, um, that's very true. Yeah, um, and uh, also um, that game has some fantastic systems. So it's fun to just mess around with guards and stuff. Um, also, I found myself repeating uh, the boss battles in that game again and again again because I thought they were pretty good actually. Um, particularly, I really like the uh, Harrier fight. Um, it's very simple that mm. one, but the vamp fight is good as well. And them just one's bosses. I think they were slightly better, yeah. Also, a lot of the same tricks are employed and um, yeah. everything except that Ocelot yeah, fight. Yeah, remixed quite a bit. That uh, first Ocelot fight isn't very good, the one uh, where you're just chase, chasing him in a circle. But the ninja fight's really good um, in the um, that lab where he's killed everyone. Yeah, that was really cool. That was cool. Um, but yeah, not so much. How about you, Phil? Um, there is a specific section of Half-Life Episode 2 that I really like. Uh, and it's after... Uh, you're in a, the basement of a house and there's some like one of the advisors turns up and it's all creepy for a bit and then you grab a shotgun and you combine start flooding in and you've got to just break out of that section with your shotgun while a song called Sector Sweep starts playing mm. which I think we've already used as one of our podcast intros well, there you go flag so I won't have to use there you it go flag here. I mean hey yeah um but I don't know something about that. I think, I think that was the point when I first played through the Half-Life Two series, mm. uh, where I discovered how great the shotguns feel, mm. like properly focusing on the shotgun combat and not just sort of throwing it in while you're switching between other weapons. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it just something about it just felt really good. Like the, the combination of that music and that sequence and that weapon just really. I love that little section. It's not like one of the ones people often talk about because, you know, it's Raven or the bit with the thing, you know, all the Half-Life stuff that people love. Yes, but, Every, everything except the uh, vehicle section. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, yeah that's, that specific bit is probably one of my favourite parts of it. Um, have I replayed it much? A few times, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever. I, I don't think I'd ever go back to a Half-Life episode just to play that. But if I'm playing through, I do like enjoy, look forward to that little bit. Yes, um, I would say uh, on a similar note, uh, Lady Ball's Last Party is one I played multiple times. Oh yeah, but I did also play the one that's in that. Um, the brothel, or the cap, something or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I think those are two particularly great mm, levels really in that good game. Levels from Dishonored, yeah. And isn't there? Isn't it in Lady Ball's last party where they remix who the uh, the who Lady Boyle is each yes. time? Yeah. Um, and that is that's that's great. But also, I just love exploring that house because it's so beautifully laid out, and like the food table is amazing. With that, mm. isn't there a swordfish on it or something like that? Maybe it's a shark actually. But there's something giant and ludicrous on that table, and like. Um, 
yeah, and, uh, you know, just like whether you sign the book or not, you have the duel with that guy, and then just snooping around the house and like how it all resolves itself, the different endings of that level. Obviously, everyone praises that level, but um, rightly so, it's yeah, one of the yeah, greatest yeah. ever created. Um, for sure mm. and, um, and also the whole it's also it's also really cool outside like you've got um, one of the tall boys walking is that what they're called in that yeah. game yeah walking around and then um, I think there's even like some apartments across the bridge you can go into that sounds about right yeah I think so yeah there's always apartments across the bridge yes <laughs> um, that's the dishonoured way <laughs> and even like even sneaking into that building is like a fun thing in itself and like uh, uh, yeah that is that is a level I could play over and over again do I have an emotional attachment to it not really no. it's just um, it's just nice to play with the systems isn't it yeah I mean, I did. I haven't been back since the review, but when I was reviewing Dishonored Two, I went through cracking the slab, uh, that mansion level, a few yeah. times just to see if there were different ways that that could play out. And yes, there are. Yeah, um, yeah, which I was very impressed by. Mm. The honest truth about why I've not played Dishonored Two yet is because everyone's review of that game made it sound like a lot of work and very stressful and very hard. Really? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, particularly when talking, people talk about the um, Clockwork Mansion. Is that the thing you're talking about? No, it's not, is it? No. Um, so there are two big standout levels. One is Clockwork Mansion, which I think is the more controversial one. I really enjoyed it, but I think a lot of people despise it. Is it because of the whole Jindosh's Lock thing? People. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, that's a completely optional thing anyway. Right, okay. there's, there's like, I mean, some people just like that for the challenge. I couldn't be bothered to yeah. sit and think through a puzzle because I quite like the idea of there being a puzzle that lets you bypass part of the game, but I enjoyed the game too much to bypass a section of the game, so I just went and played yes. the game. Yes, and I'd feel like I would be missing out on environmental design that exactly. someone's made you for me. Absolutely, you know? yeah, if you yeah. do it. So I didn't, and I just did it by playing. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I think like the, just, the, just the conceit of um, the mansion the Clockwork Mansion one is it, it can be quite a confusing space to navigate around yeah uh, I think that threw a few people off and well I shouldn't let that put me off really no, and, uh, and, and I should play it more very good Dishonored stuff we're probably not too far off there being some DLC for that game either are we quite possibly we're bound yeah. to do uh, some exciting. yeah maybe they'll announce that at their E3 conference um, okay cool uh, back when Star Wars The Old Republic was released um I only played it for the first month and really didn't feel it. Recently had another go and found I was really enjoying being in the Star Wars again. The game had changed vastly and I was even enjoying it enough to drop uh, cash to get the expansions. As a Yorkshireman, I made sure I would get uh, got my money's worth. The two months free sub with the extra gold currency would get me by the FTP restrictions once the sub gives out. What games did you bounce off from initially and then longer, uh, then long later have had another go and found you really enjoyed? That's from Max Ursa on our Discord channel. Um... I uh, I don't think I have an example of this. Or I have just recently downloaded... I've just downloaded... Um, I'm not a big Skyrim guy. I have just downloaded a special edition with the intention of giving that a proper stab. I've never, I, never, I never finished an Elder Scrolls game. Huh. Um, but I finished uh, all of the 3D Fallouts. Mm. Um, I haven't finished Fallout 1, I'll be honest. It's too hard. Yeah, but, so um, <laughs> I barely got out of the tutorial dungeon of Fallout 2. It was fucking spider bastards. What the ounce? I don't know. Fuck them. Um, yeah, so I was always hoping that someone would do some kind of easy type mod for that game so I could actually blitz through it. I'm sure there the, is uh, one. There probably is. You'll probably yeah. turn combat off or something, can't you? Probably. Yeah, I might do that. Remove <laughs> all ants. Um, yeah, but yeah uh, have you, so how many of the Elder Scrolls games have you tried? I tried Oblivion, and I just I could not could not crack it. I did the um, I feel like I did the opening of that game about five or six times. Um, and I did opening. Yeah, and I closed an Oblivion gate, and I did a few quests, and I messed with the systems a bit. And it, oh, that, yeah, the Oblivion gates are actually a bit of a chore. Yeah, they're pretty I terrible. Did not like that part of that. 
Um, okay, I really like Oblivion, but that bit. It's it's typical it's typical Elder Scrolls stuff where the main quest is kind of garbage. I sort of like, I struggle with fantasy um, mm. when it's uh, it's presented in a way that where I don't quite see what the what the twist on it is. So like um, I think Dragon Age is very self aware fantasy, particularly in the last couple of entries. Yeah. Um, it, and and therefore the fact that there's dragons and uh, a lot of lore books and things like that doesn't bother me so much because I find. The character writing is very contemporary in uh, Dragon Age, um, which I think uh, does it a lot of favors. Yeah, I think it's very clear the way it's winking towards, you know, very human, normal things. It's, yeah. Uh, and, and there's almost nothing human about the Elder Scrolls because none of the writing is good enough, uh, especially in Oblivion. Like, it's just like dickhead McFantasy boy from King, <laughs> King Arsehole's third court of warriors is whatever but then people have told me that there are bits of story in in uh, skyrim particularly where the uh the, it's actually genuinely brilliant and like um but for the you know or, or at least the quest design is interesting like the the notorious hangover quest for example which we talked about yeah, in this podcast like, before there are fun quests like they, they make fun situations there's a really good quest in oblivion yeah uh, it's about um a village of this isolated village of Kajis, I think, the cat people, mm. uh, who just have a series of uh, prophecies about the end of the world. Yeah. And, you, you know, your role is to... He's been sent by the Daedric god of madness to wind them up, basically, and <laughs> try and make all the prophecies come true. And uh, that's fun. <laughs> it's uh. just fun and silly. And I quite like it when... Elder Scrolls does stuff like that, although I, I, it's slightly too far, you know, few and far between. I think. Yeah, there's still a lot of filler quests and boring. Just uh, same with Fallout. Like you can pick a handful of side quests that are good, like the Silver Shroud and stuff like that. But yeah. I think a lot of them were quite. And I, I sort of get why they might want to stick away from that stuff. I think everybody knows. Like the problem with Fallout Two was that everybody thought that they were doing the funny quest and the entire game changed tonally because yeah uh, too many people were like oh i'll do this one as the funny quest simultaneously <laughs> and yeah it just completely changed what the what that series became yeah yeah that's true um uh so actually i dragon age origins is an example of something actually i remember mm. playing at launch not really getting then coming back to in 2012 and uh, did everything apart from Awakening. Um, so that did get me eventually. Um, basically, I think if you pick a bad origin in that game out of the six, yeah. then that can actually throw you off a bit. And it was only once I picked the uh, City Elf origin, which I really liked. Which City was, Elf was really good, yeah. That's because it's basically like there's a classist S element to that that's mm. genuinely interesting. And um, that that's when the game got me. How about you, Phil? Um so actually I have been meaning to go back to Star Wars Old Republic because I played that for about a month and it seemed quite interesting and I quite like the idea that they've removed a lot of the bullshit in it now or not removed it but you can I think you the, the way they do it now possibly only if you subscribe and get like the XP boost is that you can just play the main stories and get those like Old Republic style um, nice the Old Republic style uh, storylines, right? Yeah, uh, without actually having to do the grindy side quest planet stuff. Okay, well you can do that from scratch without without having previously done anything. That's or? what so, that's what someone made it sound like, and I haven't really investigated that because I thought, oh, I'll give uh, the Elder Scrolls Online a go first. Yeah, and it's put me off MMOs again for a bit. <laughs> I mean, 
You are, are you still on the brink of trying FF14 as I have been for a oh while? Oh god, yeah, yeah. That's another one. Again, uh, Tesso did put me off slightly, <laughs> but I will go back to FF14 because I, I really want to go to the Gold Sorcerer and play Triple Triad. With me people. too. But do you know, what I don't want to play is another. I don't want to play an MMO with MMO combat. I just don't. I don't want to be a hotkey MMO button mashing I do mm. I'm just not I don't want to do that I want a more interesting form of interaction and yeah. FF14 does look like a lot of that still even with the interesting side quests I get that I yeah I, I do sort of get that although a lot of the direct combat MMOs are also quite bad for different reasons right um, hockey sort of suits MMOs if they do it well I think Guild Wars is still one of the best at that just because it combines like hockey attacks with some very dynamic movement to you know, you've got to be aware of your surroundings. It's not like the certain classes of Warcraft where you can literally just stand rooted in a spot and press the buttons in the order you press them in. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I guess... Blizzard have tried to get away from that a lot recently. But, you know, that was a problem for a while, I think. Hmm. Well, FF14 sort of, like, also sold itself on the back of, like, social simulation stuff and a bit of buying a house and, uh, you know, creating stuff and, hmm. yeah, exploring these nice spaces together and... I don't know. I'm yeah. really interested by it because of just the path that's taken and the fact that they had to end the first attempt. So, you know, they ended the world of that was the first attempt at them making a Final Fantasy XIV game. Yeah. Uh, which uh, Tom reviewed and gave a terrible score because it was a terrible game. And yeah. They basically had to just resurrect the entire world as a different game. It's a pretty impressive thing to do, really. It's, I just don't I mean, find that it is some dedication, isn't it? And it, I mean, it really seems to have paid off. Like, it's one of the ones that I, I think we know a core of people who play a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen, and yeah. uh, they like it's stuck with them, and they keep trying to get us to play it. They do, yeah, and I keep um, stubbornly refusing and playing 15 or 10 instead, which is just not helpful. But, I think know. my biggest game I hard hard bounced off of and came back to and really loved was Deus Ex uh, the first Deus Ex oh yeah, yeah. it took me five separate attempts like many months and sometimes even years apart to just get through Liberty Island and, oh yeah uh, that, that's all it took was me to just finish a mission in that game and then it was like okay I'm playing it now and like finally just went all the way through to the end in like a few weeks and I was I was like, yeah, I've done it. I understand that why it's good, but Jesus Christ, it took a while. To yeah. It's funny, actually, because um, Invisible War, I bought in 2004 and then finished in 2007. And, okay. like, um, that's, uh, you know, again, I think maybe I just... Uh, and that opening area of that game is pretty boring, but I do think once you get to Cairo, it's slightly more interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. As shy as Cairo looks. It, and, and, yeah, shy, Cairo is, like, two corridors it's or whatever. just two corridors. <laughs> Isn't there an outside bit where there's a little? Um, isn't there like a little alien man by a bin? I yeah, think there's an alien man by a bin. That's just one. <laughs> that's an encounter there. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a that's a hub. That's a city hub. If any NPC gets too near to the bin, they just set on fire. <laughs> that's how bins work. I don't. Um, I still don't think that game is that bad. I really like know. Germany, which is two streets <laughs> to end with like a couple of circles in them. It's like yeah. And my memory of the original Deus Ex's environments is that unreasonably big, and there's actually some quite yeah, sizable environments. Yeah, you, like the scale of it is completely different because everything feels really claustrophobic in a visible walk. Because yeah. like I think that that's just how games looked during the sort of Xbox One era. Yeah, of, you know that by that Xbox One you mean X the the original. The original Xbox. Yes, yes. <laughs> the Xbox. <laughs> God, Microsoft. Why? <laughs> Why did you do that? 
Um, I think we've just about answered that one, haven't we? I'm actually, I actually, so, yeah, okay. yeah. I'd say that. Hopefully, that uh, that answers the question. But yes, yeah, so I'm also uh, considering jumping into Star Wars. It's interesting that you played um, the Old Republic, despite not really being much of a Star Wars guy, Phil. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like Bioware RPGs, so yeah, why not? I mean, that seemed like a good enough excuse. I've watched all the Star Warses now. Yeah, and but you I only did that last year. But, but you weren't massive. You weren't massively into them. You thought they were right, didn't I mean, you? I, th- I thought they were right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. They yeah. are. You know, <laughs> they probably they average out as a three star film. I think so. You know. It's, yeah. Uh, probably it gets it gets pretty rough with those prequels. <laughs> uh, it's a shame Chris isn't here to uh, get into it in depth. But hey, um, question for the pod: uh, potential extension on Steelman Twenty One's great questions. The games you've replayed the most? Question. Do you have particular types of game that you think that you replays the most, or with particular qualities? For me, Hitman Blood Money was a game I would constantly return to for years. I guess it's a sandboxy thing, but with optional story details, e.g. threads in the newspapers, skippable cutscenes. Sometimes I soaked up the story, sometimes not. It gave me the option. That's from the judge. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, I guess uh, sort. Of, I guess that's, we've sort of answered that a bit already by mm. talking about would, sections we replay. Um, so yes, it very much is those games that have that kind of uh, element to them. Um, but yeah. uh, I don't think it counts as replaying. But I do. I, I I've spent the majority of my time in GTA Five just sticking about, um, driving around, you know, enjoying the sights, stealing a helicopter, stealing an airplane, that sort of oh, thing. God, I've, I've not done this with. I've not because I've not got the setup for any of uh, the current GTAs. But I remember San Andreas. Uh, once I completed that, I just had a save that was. At the um, airfield in the you know, the airfield that you end up owning, that's near like the military, the Area Fifty One style base. Yeah, and I had um, a VTOL jet in the hangar, so I could load up the save, get into the jet, and just fly over the um, Area Fifty One, get the five star rating, and just dogfight for a bit. And I yeah. really loved doing that. Uh, I played that so many times. Yeah, just coming back to that, that's actually a better answer to the first question, <laughs> the first time I asked that question. I just remember that now. Uh, it was great. <laughs> that was fantastic, actually. Like I actually still can recall the first time I um, flew uh, towards the Los Santos skyline in an airplane and just seeing the city. I mean, there's obviously a lot of popping because um, those early GTA games had that, but yeah. god damn it, that was impressive. It's just seeing those skyscrapers while you're in the air like that. I got really good at flying that clipped wing plane from GTA 3. Me too. Did You got to the secret island, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it? They called it Castle City or something. Yeah, where the cutscene was from the... It was it was actually weirdly it was weirdly eerie, in a way that I kind of wish that an, a game could actually capture as like I know because basically you have to fly behind a waterfall and then it's there isn't it mm. and it's like this little segment of city that is just in the opening cutscene they've they've that's still in the game world and they've just dumped it in this well yeah they, I, I guess because the way they load it they have to have it as a physical thing somewhere so that they can act out the scene within it it's like uh, how you can um, in San Andreas you can get to Liberty City if you use a jetpack by going through like a gym yeah or yeah. how in the first level of Half-Life 1 you can find the room where Dr. Breen is actually broadcasting from because he's showing on all the video screens oh yeah yeah uh, he's just sort of sat in a room <laughs> that you can no clip to and it's just his uh, torso and head there talking <laughs> into a camera we should do a while of on that. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Kind of makes yeah. me want to play earlier GTA's. Oh, yeah. I guess the other thing is like um, immersive sims are really good for it. Games like Hitman and uh, stuff for just dicking about in and open world games. Obviously, I spent a lot of time just mucking about in Just Cause Two. Yeah. Uh, after I after I was done with that game, which was a long time before I actually completed it, because. 
That's, <laughs> that is not a great campaign path. But no, it's not. I do like uh, games like Skyrim and Half-Life 2 to an extent that sort of become mod platforms after you're done with them. And uh, I think Fallout's getting this way as well. It's sort of getting a good head of steam with mods and stuff where you can just like load in a few things and have a wander around and see what dumb shit you can do with it. Right. And uh, it completely breaks the game in so many ways. Uh, I think that's partly because... I mean, I had to destroy Skyrim so badly to do the top 10 downloads for the magazine over the years. Like, yeah. that thing is a wasteland. If I try and load it, it will just complain mercilessly. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. I'm going to jump into... We've got still got a lot of questions. I might save some of these for next week, actually. Um, but We can't check out we're doing from time because the Mac... <laughs> yes, we have no idea how this has been recording for I hope now. this is recording. I would estimate this has been recording for an hour. So let's... Uh, okay. There was a moment earlier, and I probably won't remove it because I don't think I'm going to be able to find it again, where we did look at each other and just go, fuck. And that was because the screen off the Mac had gone up. But we were told by the um, the video man that that would uh, that it would be fine. That we were it, told it would still be record. Fine, so. so if you're listening to this, it's gone well. If, if you're... <laughs> if you're not there's no podcast so it's fine. that's a good point we shouldn't even we shouldn't even be bothered talking about <laughs> it because it's it's either not happening or i've got um should we blast through these should we, we've got like six questions Lightning actually round. blast through them yes yeah, do it um question for the podcast come remember if i asked this previously what's the worst game you've stubbornly played right through to the bitter end um and one more question what are some of the games you guys have replayed the most uh i, I guess we've sort of talked enough about replaying games haven't we? yeah um so then let's go with the first one worst game you've stubbornly played through right to the bitter end um uh we i know we kind of sort of end up resenting it at the end i guess oh, that's um, a good question oh there was um uh, uh does that yeah oh, there you go i've got one it's um in fact definitely this one okay red faction armageddon um, oh shit! Because I loved Red Faction Guerrilla, as yeah. a lot of people did, with a uh, very cool destructive system, which I have no idea how they did, and games haven't really replicated it in any mm. meaningful way. And then uh, Armageddon thought, well, that's a cool open world game. What if we put what it underground? A linear shooter. Yeah, and it was terrible, and I hated it, and I played through that to the finish because I thought, oh well, maybe at one point I'll be able to go outside and do some cool shit. Nope, you do go outside for a bit, but nothing fun happens. You don't get any of the vehicle stuff. Like uh, the Gorilla was so good, and there was the foundations of a, a, like a nine or a ten out of ten game there, but they just never followed it up. Never which it up, which is potentially not Volition's fault because THQ had a lot of problems around that time. So, yeah. How about you, Phil? I'm trying to think, uh, and I'm struggling. Okay. Well, we could always <laughs> come back to that later. I hated the ending of. I thought uh, Enslaved went on for too long, despite very much enjoying its world. Oh right, um, yeah. Uh, but I do. I thought the ending to that game was horrendous, and yeah. it made me angry for quite a while. But um, I think the thing is, like, if they're short enough, I'm not going to be bothered that they got shit. Like, I don't remember being bothered by Enslaved. It was like it dropped off a cliff a bit, but that, whatever. And yeah. uh, if they're too long, I'll just never finish them. And <laughs> yeah, I've become too ruthless to get angry at games like yeah. that. Yeah, I feel like I know these days, like almost straight away, if I'm going to like something or not, mm. you know, um, which also really helps. But there are always moments whenever I'm playing any game where I think, am I enjoying this enough to continue? Uh, and sometimes I'll get on that, like, how long to beat site and find out how long I've. I, I look at that, that's yeah. a great site. I look it's at that a, great a lot. site for when you think, I'm kind of enjoying this now, but if there's 10 more hours of it, I'm out. I'm just going to peace out right now. Sometimes, uh, in the case of two games I've slagged off on this podcast multiple times, Soma and The and Vanishing of the Vanishing Carter, Vanishing Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've got, I found myself four hours in and then looked at how long to be, and it says like five or six hours. I'm like, no, that's too long. <laughs> and they're like, I turn it off. Um, 
Okay, cool. Well, that hopefully, uh, I think that's a good, yeah. Yes, you had a, you had an example, so that's cool. I did. Red Faction Armageddon can get to hell. I hated mm. it. Um, although they should still bring that series back and do something good with it. Do they Volition don't own that anymore, do they? No, THQ Nordic own it, I think. Oh, okay. And they were basically a different company to yeah. THQ, um, but bought all of their IP. I remember it's I Nordic very, games. I sort of, I was, I may, I may have talked about this before on the podcast, but I considered, I tried to make yes. a bid on buying um, Red Faction Gorillas, I, no, the Red Faction IP for a quid. And I did contact the people selling off the, uh, liquidating <laughs> the assets to THQ, but I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to go through with it, because I just thought, because it was like an NDA you had to sign, right. and I was like, I'm in too deep, I'm in too deep. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, what's the point of doing it if you can't tell people about it? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've got half an anecdote there. Um, okay. I dug up an old issue of the mag from 2013 featuring a big preview of Bioshock Infinite. It had a joke box out. I should say, actually, if you like Bioshock, if you want to play Bioshock Infinite you never have, skip the next 30 seconds because there'll be spoilers here. Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, it had a joke box out with various staff members' predictions about the game's inevitable big twist, with everything from Elizabeth is a robot to everyone is secretly three inches tall. <laughs> That's a good joke. That's a very good joke. Um, another uh, was The Villain Is You, which miraculously ended up being true. Um, what are some of your favourite theories or conspiracy theories about games? Bonus points if they turned out to be true. I did guess that um, uh, you would be Comstock, because... I thought the Hall of Heroes gave that away. Yeah, it did a bit, didn't it? Like, yeah. I, I, it was one of those. I'm really good at talking myself out of spoilers. Right. Uh, I'm about to spoil, spoil Flight Fight Club if you care about that for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And you shouldn't. Um, but somebody randomly spoiled, I think, on an early morning talk show that uh, Tyler Durden was the main character. Yeah. Uh, alter ego. Um, and then somehow watching that film, I managed to talk myself out of that being the case. <laughs> Yeah, I did the same thing with, with another Fincher film, Even which was all the hints are in there. It's just like, oh, just uh, it won't be that. That's, that'd be silly. And then it was, and I was like, whoa! I kind of knew this in the back of my mind. But... I'm a, I'm about to spoil another David Fincher film Amazing. here, which is the um, in uh, again. If you if you if you've ever seen the film Seven, skip forward about thirty <laughs> seconds. But I remember watching it. That was one of those things where I remember hearing the phrase Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box, right? And then. But then, like, ten years passed, and I watched that film for the first time, and it was only in the end, in that desert, where Kevin Spacey's, like, I don't know, gets, I don't know, FedEx to deliver the head in a box. That's a dumb film. <laughs> good, though. It's very good. Weird ending. And then, uh, <laughs> that they, I was like... scan these packages? Like, <laughs> and you then, get away with it now, like, not seeing the <laughs> Yeah, of course. Security measures have been increased when it comes I, to all those things. I bought my girlfriend an oxen-free pin, and that I don't think that even made it through customs here. Like, I mean, god damn it! I mean, how would you get that head? I suppose if you're delivering it, if you're not sending it internationally, that's it. It would have been. I don't think it even crossed state lines. Yeah, <laughs> so you'd get it signed for, wouldn't you? Because can you make sure that head doesn't get lost in the post, please? Um, but anyway, yes, I. Uh, uh, what we were saying about Bioshock, yes, it was. I think it's because in the Hall of Heroes, yes, it gives you when Comstock was born to when he was in this, and it it didn't line up with the age of an old man. Mm. Also, it didn't explain why he would be there, but Booker wouldn't remember him. Yeah, and I think that's a strong enough hint that you think. I certainly thought from the preview event. Well, maybe he is Comstock then. Obviously, not knowing the weird like alternate reality systems of why that works or whatever. But you know, um, or the fact that the magic floating city powers made him old <laughs> and sterile 
Yeah. So he had to kidnap so, her yeah. daughter from another dimension. I do like a that game. A lot of tenuous plot twists within <laughs> that thing. Everyone is secretly three inches tall. It's great. Because I love the idea that <laughs> at the start, that lighthouse is just tiny and it goes up to a... It's like it's actually in um, a, local, a UK model village that game is set. <laughs> <laughs> the village from Heart First. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually can't think of any other. I can't think of any favorite theories or conspiracy theories. Oh, I can. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Chico is quiet, Sam. Farewell, sausage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> the best, the best, dumbest theory. Oh my god, that was the worst theory I've ever seen. I mean, it was first of all, I don't know who made it, but it was like it looked like it had been like it was. It was that proper kind of uh, Reddit low res JPEG, fucking lines, bad lines everywhere, like loads of bad fonts. Like I think Times New Roman style, like you know. We should explain the theory itself. Uh, so people speculated that Chico from uh, MGS Five uh, Ground Zeroes, yeah, Ground Zeroes, yes, uh, was, and I guess. Uh, Peace Walker? Yeah. I'm appearing a lot of things right now. Yes. Uh, was <laughs> after all the trauma and torture of Ground Zeroes, was quiet? <laughs> yeah, became quiet um, across. Because there's a nine year gap, isn't there, yes. between um, MGS5, Ground Zeroes, and Phantom Pain. And so the it's possible was... the ages would have lined up, but uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they never explain what quiet's age is, is set, but they never, they never tell you anything in that game. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that was the dumbest theory. And, and this was. Do you want to say the thing that this is predicated on, Phil? What was this theory based on? What was the tweet that this entire theory is <laughs> no, based no, on? It was. <laughs> That it was supporting evidence, the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this, I seem to remember this theory took that tweet very seriously, even though it was the dumbest tweet that Kojima... I mean, even Kojima, by Kojima's standards. Kojima went through a period, and there, there were multiple sausage tweets, photos that he's done. There's sausage uh, in the rain, or whatever it's called. His, yeah. his enjoyment of taking photos of his dinner uh, was specifically centred around a sausage. And one of them, <laughs> maybe my favourite tweet ever, yeah. was... Uh, <laughs> A, a kind of uh, something forlorn about this photo of a sausage and uh, the words farewell sausage <laughs> and that was the apparently evidence of this I mean A that's incredibly offensive I mean yeah but this is the thing it's but I mean, like, it, I think very it, gross if you think about it for almost a second. But it, inadvertently hilarious, and obviously, I mean, it's a hysterically dumb theory. <laughs> but um, yeah, amazing. But like, um, yeah, yeah, that tweet is uh, legendary. But I'm pretty sure he just tweeted that because he was getting on a plane or something. Yeah, so yeah, he was yeah. like he was having a sausage behind. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, that was amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the actual explanation of quiet is as dumb as. <laughs> What isn't it like? She's uh, I know, I know she, uh, she a skin something. That's why she has to wear no clothes. And that was the end um, of your words and deeds. <laughs> says the man tweeting about sausages. <laughs> well, that was a, that's great. We're not going to top that. So let's move on to the next question. Anyway, that's the best theory. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out to be true. So it didn't. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I say unfortunately. No, thank God it didn't. Yeah, I would you imagine Metal Gear trying to. Yeah, shred through that minefield. Oh yeah, I think people didn't people actually write op-eds thinking that was going to be a real thing as well. I don't know if anyone did. Why? Why did they do that? <laughs> there wasn't a lot happening in 2014, you know. Um, okay, question for the pod. I'll keep it short this week. Uh, it's from N. Brady Easton. Um, best writing in games and worst writing in games. He throws in Deadly Premonition as a good example, and Mirror's Edge as a bad example. Um, 
I like Deadly Premonition's writing as well, but I think it's accidentally good. Um, yeah, that seems. To, I've not played it, but it seems uh, people seem to enjoy it despite itself. Yeah, I would say that um, D4, uh, the game follow-up game uh, by Swery65, is. Uh, I would say an example of the writing actually getting good and him actually like. I don't know if he well, writes I, it actually. But that was. Know. That was uh, wasn't that an episodic thing that never quite resolved itself or something? No, am but I not, the um, am I thinking of the wrong thing? No, you are thinking of the right thing. Okay. Yeah, um, it's just that it, uh, you get like the first three episodes, I mm. think, and it basically it feels like it's got another three to come. Okay, um, and but they will never happen. They won't. But I, I would say that uh, I'd say while it does have a sort of air of wackiness that gives it a kind of cult appeal, I also think it gen- the writing was genuinely more refined in terms of characterization and stuff. The only thing I really know about D4, uh, is based on uh, John Bly's review, is uh, the image of a man stuffing his face with what looks like a sausage sandwich and he's just got hot dogs out of his mouth. Yeah, but those are the best bits. You can basically, it's set in two places. One uh, is set in like your apartment. Um, and you've uh, you'll find trying to find out what happened to your wife. She was murdered, okay. and um, you live with this lady who thinks she's a cat, and uh, your mate Forrest Kaysen, uh, who's like a police officer. You're both police officers, um, and uh, he's an old buddy of yours. Basically, he sits in your flat, and then you eat dinner together every now and then. In between, teleporting to an airplane where you're trying to find clues on what happened to. I think she's called Little Peggy, your um, your, mm. your your dead spouse. And um, so yeah, it's um, it's definitely it's got a bit of an air of time to dead wife, uh, kind of like Liam right. Neeson films about it. But um, at the same time, it's uh, it's quite warm and earnest, and I really like the main character and that Forrest Casey guy. Yeah, he makes lots of food. Then he eats the food while you talk about being on the force and movies and stuff like that. Um, so he eats sausages. Yes, that's what happened there. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was a very evocative screenshot. So. <laughs> That's a great game, and if you um, if you can get it for like three quid, it's a very it's uh, very cheap on Steam. Always. Oh yeah, it's a very unusual, interesting. I think it's great. I love that game. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it an example of great writing, um, mm. but uh, I suppose like um, it's funny. I heard quite I heard quite a pointed criticism of uh, Dishonored uh, recently, right. where they were basically saying that, and I don't agree with this, but that the um, the fact you find all the kind of like text bits of text around. Um, is basically, it's like a su- it's like superficial intellectualism. It's like it's basically gussing up what is just an assassination game with um, look how much we've pondered over this law, um, which I thought was quite an interesting criticism actually. Of like, does it make it smarter because you find these codexes or whatever? Would it make a big difference if it was COD style ridiculous <sighs> bluster and I don't know? Like, I, don't know. I think there's still a well-considered story in there even if you don't read any of the things right yeah. especially if you play through as uh emily as emily like i don't know actually i still haven't played through as cool but i don't know how the story works with him in that role but it seems very much like emily finally facing the consequences of who she is so yeah i don't know i don't know uh that i thought that was a yeah well-written well-told story. Yep, and I've only I've only been the first one I could say, but I thought that was very good. Mm. Um, what worst writing, Phil? Who? Where to begin? I, I think uh, <laughs> original Assassin's Creed springs to mind. I thought the first yeah. one had dreadful writing. That was terribly done. That was an example of a game that was not not many, very many games where I look at them and go, "Do you know what? I could actually do a better job than that." Because um, mm. I think uh, games writing is probably very hard. But um, oh yeah, almost certainly. Like but yeah, that that is a game where I thought I could do better than that, definitely. Mm. But um, yeah, how about you? 
Uh, Mirror's Edge was the example brought up mm -hmm. by the question asker, wasn't it? That is a... That's one of those interesting ones where the story feels like it has no place within the game and the world that it's part of. I'd say the second one has that problem as well. Yeah, I didn't get far enough through the second one, to be honest. Again, um, I, I think those games would have benefited massively from having a silent protagonist and no story, personally, because I think the city does enough of the heavy lifting when it comes to the world building that you don't really need to know why you're running between these places. You just need, you know that you're a delivery person, who cares, you know? I can give you one of the better ones. Go on. Um, Wolfenstein, the new one, uh, the new order. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually really like like what they did with the tone of that and uh, like the very mumbly, uh, folksy version of B.J. Blazkowicz. I really warmed to. I thought that was a really good character. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's sort of like I don't know it managed to do both harrowing and silly mm. and somehow make it work. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there were certainly criticisms that a couple of its set pieces were a bit exploitative and yeah, maybe weren't earned within like what that game was trying to be and I'm not sure if I fully agree but I can certainly see why you'd have that view like, yeah I think mean, that's a fair critique uh, yeah for yeah. sure um, like, they didn't bother me but that is yeah certainly not a that's not me trying to defend it really mm. uh, but I really enjoyed like the tone they hit I, I mentioned that because I was thinking of Doom and I don't think that's bad writing necessarily but the story there is kind of pointless garbage uh, yes I actually uh, yeah that was bad actually like um, uh, yeah it's, it's like, I think it's knowingly pointless garbage maybe or I think it knows it doesn't have to really do anything yeah I think so and like but it's, it still feels like a waste to me because the tone of that game is so fun mm. that I think that what Wolfenstein's writing successfully does is lift an already fun game that's already got Comes equipped I, with quite a good tone. I don't I know. know. Part of me quite likes that Doom is garbage nonsense. I guess in it's terms not. of its story, because I think that does build into what it's trying to do tonally in a way that makes me enjoy. You know, it builds into a specific feeling that I quite enjoy rebelling against when I'm doing the shooting and that. Yeah, I quite enjoy that the the gunplay kind of feels like it breaks out of this. I don't know very specific mood that it's going for. Yeah, uh, I think the writing and the music build into an interesting kind of feeling within that game. Mm, yeah. Um, so I guess I guess in a way, a lot of the words just feel like white noise that kind of build into this this mood. It's yeah, I want to explain. And they never really. Not, I'm only just thinking about this now, so I'm just kind of rambling. But. Well, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's definitely like I, I think you probably find that most reviews don't even mention the story because it doesn't matter. Mm. Like you're, you're right, it's kind of like it's like a music video more than anything, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, it would be interesting to see what the version of that game with like quite a tongue-in-cheek funny story would be. Because I think it might be a game, bit Duke Nukemish. That's, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing you want to avoid, that, isn't it? Yeah. That's it, exactly. I think I'd prefer it going for completely serious word salad nonsense about you know marines and demons and stuff. I think you do get betrayed by a robot or something. Because I think a lot of the slapstick in that game comes through the action. It is quite a funny game, but it's funny because of gore. Yeah, because you take a horn off a demon yeah. and ram it up in its face or whatever. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Mm. I'd say like one more honourable mention because I'm thinking about this recently was her story for the probably oh one, yeah yeah I guess one of the best rating games ever. Yeah, I mean if yeah if we're, if we're talking about story games, which I'd completely forgot they were like games that were based on their story. Eighty days know. and you know yeah and like Monkey the Island Stanley Parable I think is a really good 
really well told story. Yeah. Uh, a series of stories you could argue. Oxenfree, I really enjoyed for, I guess, more its dialogue than its story, but. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Mm. And um, I'd, uh, I'd say probably on the same uh, take as the um, Stanley Parable is that. Dr. Langeskov free game that yeah. um, William Pugh and his company released, Birds, Birds, Birds. Yeah, I really like uh, Amstel's performance, Simon Amstel's performance in that. That's great, yeah, that's fantastic. Because um, it feels a lot looser and less professional than the narrator of the Stanley Parable, who is quite clearly performing a lot of it in yeah. uh, quite a theatrical way, whereas Amstel's just kind of breaking down and. Yeah, that works so perfectly. I'm quite fond of the writing of the Batman games as well. I think that's pr- they're pretty good. Mm. I think like um, they help make uh, it feel like probably one of the best representations of Batman lore there is, and have some genuinely interesting takes on those villains that come out of the writing. I think really um, love the dynamic between the Joker and Batman in Arkham Knight specifically. Yeah, they do that very well. A lot of their interactions are really good. What's interesting is that the um, the first two games were written by Paul Dini, who's like a seasoned Batman animated series writer. Mm. And then in Arkham Knight, I think Rocksteady just did it themselves. So it's, That's interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting that they just... Um, I think, I think he, it was hit and miss in some places. Like There are, there are, there are some things that were just like, uh, this is starting to feel just like generic comic book nonsense. Yeah. Which is an unfair criticism, I think, of comic book nonsense. <laughs> Uh, but because I'm not, I don't know enough about comic books. There, there's, there comes a point where it just sort of, yeah, I, I snap out of the writing and it just kind of bleeds bleeds together a bit. I think they, uh, what they do is that they make they make the mistake they make is they make comic book nonsense the the game the player's problem, right? Um, yeah. Which with that story, um, particularly with what the reveal of the Arkham Knight, which I won't spoil here because mm. I think you should play it still, even though the PC port has got uh, problems, unresolved problems still. Um, I think that that, that that the ending is very comic booky, and yeah. that is a bit of a struggle, I think. But um, yeah, the, I think otherwise the writing's pretty good. That bothered me less than I think it bothered you, despite me not. I think they justified it well enough within the story that game told, but not the story the three games told. Yes, but that's that's what I thought the problem was because right. you were coming to it with these. Uh, but then there's other inconsistencies between those games, like I'm sure Barbara Gordon's totally different in the three games. Anyway, yeah, mm. um, we've uh, definitely well and truly answered that one. Uh, but yeah, good question. Thank you. Um, our MMO is a dying breed. Will we ever see the likes of a fantasy-based MMO like WoW rise to popularity, or is the trend shifting towards games that provide more of a quick fix and can be better digested in short sessions? What do you think, Phil? As a, you're more of an MMO guy than I am, I don't think I don't think we'll see anything on the size of Warcraft. Yeah, like, I, I, or or maybe we have seen things on the size of Warcraft but they've been from other genres maybe League of Legends is the Warcraft of the MOBA and that's why everyone's doing MOBAs and then Overwatch becomes the Warcraft of the hero shooter and that's why everyone's now doing hero shooters yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can only have one of them within a I mean arguably two if you count Dota 2 for MOBAs yeah. and Eve if you count MMOs but there, you know, you can have maybe one hugely mainstream version of the of these kind of niche genres, yeah. And everyone struggles to copy it for a long time, and I think that's why a lot of MMOs died and went away. And I was going to name some examples, but I can't even remember them because that's how old they are. There were some mid two thousand MMOs that were kind of garbage. Richard Garriott did one. Um, I remember almost nothing about it. I don't remember. No, no, I don't remember. But I mean, you know, this—I uh, don't—I don't know how much people are still playing EverQuest, uh, for example. But yeah, you know, like 
but nothing like, lasts forever. Really, you don't need the Warcraft size MMOs to be an MMO that can thrive. Um, no, you know, Guild Wars seems to be doing okay. Star Wars seems to be doing okay. Um, FF14. FF14 still has its subscription model, which is like that's one of the rare games that can that can hold on to a sub. Yeah, I, th- I say like uh, one thing about that question is that like the way that people consume this stuff has changed a lot since WoW launched, obviously. And so doesn't I don't think you'd ever see a monthly subscription fantasy MMO like that uh, rise and then stick around for any longer. Yeah, like than about a year. Like you know. I think there's a very set model now, which is. If you want to go like the full, get all the money you can out of this, is you go launch with a subscription, but you launch with a subscription with a plan to drop it after about a year and transition towards free to play in some form, whether that's spend £40, which I think is Guild Wars model, to buy the actual game yeah. and then go free, or uh, whether it's just fully free to play, microtransaction subscription type thing. Yeah, it seems like um, uh, you know ESO ended up doing that thing, obviously, where uh, they dropped the subscription model, and you could just buy Tamriel Unlimited and just keep playing it if you enjoyed that game, which Phil didn't. Mm. They are still making MMOs, and some of them is like thrive and do well within the context of what they need to be. I yeah, think, I think developers' expectations have ju- like adjusted. Nobody's trying to make a Warcraft killer anymore. I think no. they're just trying to make the version of an MMO that appeals to them that will get enough of an audience that it can last for a while. Look at Amala that you know that yeah. had, that has some serious names behind it and a lot of uh, uh, Rhode Island's money, and mm. uh, it just died uh, before it even came out. Uh, like it, it's actually not really feasible to yeah, challenge. Wow, well, like. Wildstar, which I think launched on a platform of we're doing, we're doing what old craft, old old school Warcraft did, but better. Yeah, and it just didn't happen. For, I think it was a really good game, but like just something didn't click with people. Mm. And yeah, right. so MMOs now I think are taking this form of like we see Destiny 2's coming to PC. Um, yeah. like uh, that's the kind of I think the future of MMO is probably in games that have uh, built. Uh, built something on MMO style systems much as the example you're giving Phil of how genres influence genres and things kind of bleed and cross over I think that's that's basically where the future of it is The Division is another stab at that, obviously less successful yeah, totally. than Destiny like, I think yeah. Online latency has become you know, the technology is getting to a point where you can just cross over, I, th- I think the early MMOs probably were based around technological limitations more than they were about the desires of the people making them it's like well, yeah. how can we do this vision we've got within what exists at the moment and technology has just got exponentially better so you can do like more interesting things and a persistent world shooter is certainly one of them hmm. um, like it's just a case of designing it in a way that kind of overcomes some of the problems and some of the sort of the, the, the dust that's kind of settled into I mean, I think the potential within something like Planetside, or Planetside 2 is huge, but it's just it's not for me, I don't think. Mm. The idea behind it is great, but I think the actual implementation just doesn't really appeal to me yeah. in that case, but eventually someone's going to hit upon like the perfect combination that can really break into the mainstream. And yeah, maybe Destiny's went a long way to that thing, because it had like it was built on some of Bungie's knowledge of just making a really nice sticky shooter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. Uh, question: Have you ever had to review a puzzle game and just been so stuck you couldn't continue, or a skill game like Dark Souls or something like that? That's from Avagard. Um I uh, said I'd bring this example up, despite the fact it's not a PC example, and I apologise. But I was stuck 
uh, on a section in Metal Gear Solid 4, a boss fight against Vamp uh, in Shadow Moses, uh, where you have to basically inject him with this thing. But I think the game does a terrible job of making it clear that you're meant mm. to do that thing. And I was stuck while Hideo Kojima was walking around. Um, he comes up a lot on this podcast. It's just, a, he it, he's yeah, just you know, he's just he's my problematic fave, Phil. That's, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> as we've established, yeah. Um, oh, th- that that was bullshit. That fight. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. But like, um, but it's also not on PC. So <laughs> that's true. Otherwise, I don't really review games, so I can't really get away in. But Phil, yeah, Phil reviews more games than me. Yeah, but I tend to review of action games and things and uh, shooters and stuff. But a lot of the games I review have a difficulty mode, and it's where I have to use it because I think normal is these days. Like, I always play games on normal mode, and I think these days normal mode is kind of in a place where. Mm. You can usually just get through it with a bit of persistence. You know, a few bullshit boss fights maybe, but you can get through most games. Yeah. And I just deliberately don't review a Dark Souls or any adventure game. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't have to review Thimbleweed Park (laughs) because... Well, Andy said he only got stuck twice in that. Um, and he had to ask a couple of people for help, but it mm. wasn't. But only for clues, not for the actual solution. Um, I can. Uh, one of the few games I reviewed for uh, PC Gamer, um, Final Fantasy Thirteen Two. I could not finish the last level because there's an insane difficulty spike between the penultimate bit and the final. There's like there's like this platforming bit. With yeah, I remember, I remember you trying to play that. Yeah, and because you were playing it in the office and just getting increasingly frustrated. I gave, I thought I gave that, I gave that game forty-five hours, which is a pretty good shout for yeah. a two-page review, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is more than any freelancer would do <laughs> if they had any sense. And fair enough. Yeah, yeah, but like, um, yeah, it's uh, that's a, a rare example. But and I don't know. Um, worst is when you have to review. I remember I only used to review a lot of Japanese RPGs, and they would be incredibly hard unless you did a lot of grinding. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing where you start sweating and you think, "Oh my god, what if I can't actually get any further in this?" And I need to have an opinion on it. This is actually genuinely stressful now. Yeah, like I, uh, I did a lot of MMO reviews uh, for a while, and that is a lot of making sure you get you, you want to experience a broad range of systems and certain amounts of combat, and does that means like. You're playing for at least forty or fifty hours just to get as much of it. And the good thing about MMO reviews is you can kind of mere culprit a bit and say, "Look, hey, we need to get a review done, so we're not going to get to the end game." Like you just can't expect that of a of an MMO review. Yeah, especially one that's up within like the first month of the game's release. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, uh, but you can still make a call on whether someone yeah, will like it like, or not. So yeah, it's the thing of you know if if the game can't be fun in 40 hours then it's a bad game even if the end of it's really good like, yes they've wasted your time I mean sure you're going to look like a complete moron for those 40 hours with your hodgepodge of armour but <laughs> god damn it it'll be done but as long as it's fun yes exactly look stupid <laughs> okay cool well those are all the questions we have today we actually, That's a lot. Did, it. We actually did it we did it we did, did loads of them it was great uh, we very much appreciate them there was a very good batch of questions this week um, if you want to add some more uh, you can tweet me at Samuel W. Roberts as I've mentioned or please come and join our discord community discord.gg slash pcgamer very welcoming community of podcast listeners and people passionate about pcg and pc gaming which is great there is, or if you want to uh, re- review the 
podcast on iTunes, I'd massively appreciate that. Um, it helps more people find the podcast, which is uh, much appreciated. We have a new copy of the magazine out today, a new issue. Uh, I say today, but it's out this week, basically. It's got Dawn of War 3 on the cover. It comes in a nice card wallet. The US edition will be out soon. Uh, sans the wallet, but still looks very nice with a big space marine on the cover. It's got a good Ghost Recon Wildlands joke on the back page. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a belter this month. So, yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah and uh, we will be back next week. Oh god, how how do we not delete the podcast? If I just press up, that's all. Ooh, good. I wouldn't press up. No? I don't know. I sort of want to move the mouse as far away from where Audacity would be as Oh, wait, that did it. That did it. But we can't log in. But we so can't log in. So we just have to get JJ and he'll do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Should we do that then? I guess we'll do that.